listening to this week's Lefevre CFC podcast. Connect with us via our website, lefevrecfc.com, or our Facebook page, www.facebook.com slash lefevrecfc. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Most of you know that I'm a Crow's tragic. Um, you know, year after year, I continue to hope, continue just to have a wish. And I, I, I thought in the context of what I'm going to be speaking about today, here's a lovely little summary that we can launch out there. I hope that the Crows will make the top eight this year. I don't have faith that they will make the top eight this year. And I don't trust them to make the top eight. And I would not put a bet on it if I was a betting man. So we've got faith, we've got trust, we've got obey, we've got doubt, we've got all of those things that are mixed together. And Paul alluded to that last week. It's a very mixed bag of words that um, can mean a lot of different things. But we're going to have a numbers quiz Should you need an incentive? How many times does the word faith appear in the New Testament? Just call it out. You're in the ballpark. Sorry? Bit more. I heard 350. What was the other one? (laughs) Oh, you have little faith. (laughs) No, a bit more. Uh, We're in the 200 200 area. Paul was... Oh, sorry, 200. No, down. 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 Up. <laughs> Who got the closest to 228? <laughs> right, we, we could be. Okay. Oops. No, we didn't want that. How many times does the word faith appear in the Old Testament? You're a third of the way there, and that is you got one number right. (laughs) What was that, four? Four times only in the entire Old Testament is the word faith used. How many times does the word trust appear in the New Testament? Oh, sorry, old, old. To the nearest 10 (laughs) or 100 or whatever. You got one number right. A bit more. 
No, no, too many. Very close. You're closest. That'll do. 78. So God is more concerned about trusting rather than... How many times does the word trust appear in the New Testament? That's close enough. Four. Just four times. And I find those numbers fascinating because it gives me a big picture of what God focuses on. And in the New Testament, he very clearly focuses on faith. And in the Old Testament, he very clearly focuses on trust. Even above obey and obedience and all of those have to do stuff. I find that, found that quite amazing that faith just appears four times in the Old Testament and only once is it used in the context that we would use it in the New Testament. All the other times it's he broke faith or he did something that was weird. Only once in Habakkuk 2.4 is it used in the same sense that we use it as, but of those four times that it appears in the Old Testament, how many different words are used? I think Paul correctly said last week that pistis is always used in the New Testament. We got four times in the Old Testament. How many different words? Four. Four different words to express faith, which really tells me that faith is not a New Testament word. Even though when we have a look at Hebrews 11, it just goes on and on and on about the people of faith, the acts of faith, the obedience and the trust and the faithfulness and all of that, but they were in a different realm to our little understanding. We'll have a look at that in deeper, but to me the story that most portrays elements of faith is the story of Ruth and Naomi. Even though that's not cited, it's, look, can I encourage you, when you go home, just put your feet up for about 15, 20 minutes. That's all it should take. And read Ruth cover to cover, four chapters. It is a beautiful love story, human, divine, and how God works. Is that me? Maybe a little bit better? Okay. I'm not all that I'm cracked up to be, all that crackling that goes on. So Naomi and Ruth is an amazing, amazing story of faith and trust. And the, the story as it unravels is just amazing. There's, a, uh, there's famine in Israel. So Naomi, her husband, her two kids head off into Moab, a pagan country, but it was on fertile soil. And so they had lots of plenty. While they're there, Naomi's husband dies. Uh, the, the two sons marry, but they die. And they're left with nothing. And in the meantime, they hear that Israel is back in the land of uh, plenty again. So Naomi decides that they're going to go back, or at least she's going to go back. 
And as they're walking away with the two daughters, daughters-in-law, she says, go back. You girls are young enough to remarry and have children and do whatever you want to do. Get a new home for yourself. Go back to mum and dad. And one of them says, okay, if that's what you want us to do, that's what we're going to do. Ruth says, no. And her story, what she says, is absolutely amazing. Ruth says, don't force me to leave you. Don't make me go home. Where you go, I go. Where you live, I'll live. Your people are my people. Your God is more my God. Where you die, I'll die, and that's where I'll be buried. So help me, God. Not even death itself is going to come between us. And this is a pagan woman who decides to be loyal, to be faithful, and to have faith in Naomi and the God that Naomi trusts in. So they head off. And just in case you haven't read the full story of Ruth, here's a spoiler alert. Ruth, a pagan Moabitess, is the great-grandmother of King David. God can use anyone. You might be here th thinking, well, God can't use me. Oh, yes, he can. He can use anyone. Whether you have belief or not, whether you were raised up as a Christian or not, whether, 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 it doesn't matter. It might be a little, little bit distracting. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Okay. As a believer, yep, as a believer, faith means being aware of God's favor and grace and wanting to live a life that pleases him. See, we often reduce faith to, uh, to prayer. I've got to sort back. If, 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 if I just prayed and if God healed me, I'm okay. You know, that, that's a vital part of faith, but it's only a small part. The bigger part is to be aware of God's favour and grace and wanting to live a life that blesses him. Jesus summarised the Old Testament in just two commandments. But these aren't new. Love God and love the Lord it actually sprinkled right through the Old Testament. Right through the Old Testament. And even Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbour as yourself. You know, when Jesus summarised the law to the lawyer who was challenging him, he said, what are the greatest commandments? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul and love your neighbour as yourself. He wasn't introducing something new. He was reminding everyone there that he was summarising what was already in the Old Testament that they'd forgotten about. So he very bravely said, if you do these, you will be okay. In the Old Testament, sorry, I've got to get in the habit of looking up there. <laughs> I don't have faith that that works. <laughs> in the Old Testament, trust 
relies on keeping external laws. See, the laws were imposed on them and they had to trust that these laws that were externally imposed on them would keep them safe. Whereas faith relies on being guided by an internal awareness of God's word and the promptings of God's Holy Spirit. How many Old Testament laws are there? Uh, you got one number right. <laughs> Closer. Sorry, sorry, down, down, down. 600 is right, and... That's close enough. It's 613. 613, 10 big ones, the Ten Commandments, and 603 little ones. How many commandments are there in the New Testament? Um, let me say a lot more than that <laughs> the, the, the two that we looked at summarised everything but how many actual commands are there uh, from all the writers of the Gospels and Jesus how many commandments are there oh you've got a long way to go <laughs> keep on going down a bit. <laughs> Is anyone going to say roughly a thousand? Okay, there's a thousand and fifty. And if you think I'm joshing you, if you think I'm pulling your leg, I actually have a copy of the 1,050 New Testament commandments and the 613 Old Testament commandments that you can have a look at. When I think about the fact that we've got 1,050 Old Testament, oh, sorry, New Testament commandments, see, if we were under the Old Testament and we had to keep them, we would be required to memorise them, to memorise the principles, to memorise what they mean, who to, and all the rest of it. But instead of that, God says, I've given you my Holy Spirit. If you think on those two commandments, Love the Lord your God with your heart, mind and soul and your neighbour as yourself. If you think of those two, you will be okay. Trust that this prompting of the Holy Spirit will guide you and lead you in, into where you want to go. See, the New Testament places, I have faith in God. My action is towards God. In the Old Testament, many times the word that is used actually infers that I am helping God. Just the same as when Moses um, and was fighting the, oh, sorry, the Israelites were fighting the Amalekites and Moses had to raise his hand and it got tired. And when his hand got tired and came down, they were losing. So Aaron and Hur got next to him and lifted his hand. And when his hand was lifted, they kept on winning. That Steadying, that supporting is the word that is used often for faith in the way that the Israelites used to support God in what he was wanting to do. A very different 
concept of what we would have. Not one single word for faith. I, I, I'm just gobsmacked at that. Okay, so what does Christian faith look like? Faith says God can, God will. That's Christian faith. God can, God will. Doubt says God can, maybe God will. Unbelief says God can, God won't. In all of those three, God can. But our response is what governs what we think about, what we believe. See, we often think, oh, yeah, look, I, I pray for healing. I, I, he doesn't give it to me, but I, I know he gives it to that person because they are righteous, they are good. You know, the Pentecostal scheme in um, the 50s, 60s, 70s did a lot of damage to itself. Um, they would go up to people, um, forgive me, and they would pray. And Are you healed? No. You've got sin in your life or you've got unbelief. And I'm thinking... That's not very upbuilding. Because my Bible says, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So I would say to the person praying, how righteous are you that it didn't work? (laughs) If we're going to look for cause and effect. Of course, God is outside of our understanding, outside of our realm. God does what he wants to do. And all of his miracles are done so that God will get the glory so here's where we're getting to. Here's where we're getting to. Can faith and doubt live together? Someone anonymous said this, but I love it. If there is no doubt in your life, I doubt whether your faith is real. Let's put it another way. Does faith exist if there is no doubt? Paul Tillich a very well-known modern theologian says this, doubt isn't the opposite of faith. It is an element of faith. The opposite of faith has been said to be despair. Despair. To have no hope. To wander in the wilderness not knowing. Doubt is part of my journey. Every morning when I wake up, I have doubts about what I can do and what I'd like to do and what I should do and what God will enable me to do. And as we journey together, we actually get to the end part. Gospel faith actually means trust, reliance, confidence and commitment to the will and the ways of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. I think that captures it beautifully. If we align ourselves to what God wants, we're going to be doing not much wrong. When Jesus was on the cross, we talk about doubt. Even knowing the victory that was coming, for Paul said to him, that Paul the Apostle said, For the joy set before him and endured the suffering of the cross. So when he was on the cross, Jesus did not say, Hallelujah, Dad coming, ready or not. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you reckon there was an element of doubt in what he was thinking, what he was processing? My God, my God, it's no longer Dad, it's no longer Abba. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
what was going on in his mind, what was going on, what torment was he experiencing? Did he have any doubts? Just as courage is sort of advancing in the face of fear, so faith is advancing in the face of doubt. Doubt is not a failure, but rather an acknowledgement of our own limitations. And it confirms or challenges our fundamental beliefs. It doesn't detract from belief, but it's a crucial part of it. So when you're thinking and when you may be doubting, it's okay to doubt. God's not going to throw a thunderbolt at you and say, oh, you have little faith. No, no, no. If we know our human limitations, that's where doubt comes in. If we know those limitations, they will push us closer to God. But here's the core problem. If we believe that we have all the answers, we don't need faith. We don't need to press in closer to God. To allow the possibility of mistakes or errors of judgment, we must accept both the normality and the importance of doubt. The danger is that if we don't have doubt, it makes us, I've written down some words, inflexible, rigid, intolerant, self-righteous, whereas reasonable doubt properly handled, properly handled, draws us closer to God. I've got two stories just to, um, to, to wrap it up. The story's told of a man in, the story's based in America, but um, he opened a tavern, a pub, in a small village in America. And, um, uh, sorry, the plans were going in for him to open, but there was a church right opposite him, and the church didn't want him to open up a pub right near them. So the church got on their knees and they prayed hard and prayed and prayed and saw no result. And on the day that the tavern was supposed to open, lightning struck the tavern down and demolished it. The tavern owner was aware that the people of the church were actually praying against it. So he took out a lawsuit against the church and said, because of their prayers... Because of their prayers, we have lost this. Therefore, I'm holding you liable. You and your God are liable. So they made the initial plea to the judge. And the judge said, at this point, I don't know what my decision will be. But it seems that the tavern owner has faith in the power of prayer. But these people, these church people, are lacking it. And that comes down to motivation. See, the tavern owner was motivated to get reimbursed, to get recompensed. The church people were motivated not to get sued and not to have to cost out a whole heap of money. But if that's what we wanted, why, why can't we stand up for it? Why, why can't we do that? I, I, I struggle sometimes... Okay, this is another one. Who is Agnes Goncha Abahaju? You know? Well done. 
Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa, and she said this in her memoirs that they discovered after she was dead. She said, please pray especially for me that I may not spoil his work and that our Lord may show himself for there is such terrible darkness within me as if everything was dead. It has been like this, more or less, since the time I started the work. And she started the work in 1948. Five years of torment, believing that she was failing, that things were dark, that she wasn't hearing God, that she wasn't listening, that she wasn't able to listen, that God didn't want to talk to her. Torment. Many of you, I think, would have heard or read it, the dark night of the soul St John a beautiful book about the torment and how we deal with it but we've got to have faith that it will get better we endure in Christ and overcome we don't just endure I've tried to put together my attempt to try and understand faith in a big picture and we know, so there she is. Um, we know that Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And, and I've tried to put some legs to that. And this is what I've come up with. If I'm wrong, tell me, change me, correct me, I'm open to that. Faith is the assurance that there is another dimension of life to life other than those which we use daily, hearing, smelling, tasting, seeing or feeling. Faith believes that God in his grace has stepped into human history and revealed to us some of his great and valuable truths. A person with faith believes those truths and adjusts their life to live according to those truths in spite of of circumstances or consequences in spite of circumstances or consequences if we think about our prayer life we often use it so that we can feel better David Pawson tells a beautiful beautiful story about um, his minister and he was ministering to a mum and the mum was very very concerned distressed despairing that her son was going down the path of drugs and alcohol and women and no jobs and all the rest of it. And she would pray regularly for him to stop it. And eventually she called David Pawson in and they were having a bit of a chat. And David said, what are you praying for? That he, would, that he won't get caught, that he'll stop it. He said, you're filled with the Spirit. Let's pray in tongues and then let's see what the Holy Spirit reveals. So just the two of them sat down, prayed naturally and in tongues. And when they'd finished, David Pawson said to the mother, what do you sense God wants you to do now? How would you pray? And this lovely mother said, God wants me to pray that he will get caught that he will go to jail, that he will serve his time 
and that he will come out of jail a better person. And that's exactly what she prayed. And that's exactly what happened. And in jail, he gave his life to the Lord. Sometimes we operate out of our own understanding and our own nurturing or protective elements. Whereas God says, we're all in. Paul gave a wonderful sermon about being all in last year or thereabouts. Are we all in to live the way that God wants us to? When we hold the Bible up, it's, it's a beautiful book of guidelines. Love. And the more we know about it, the more we can respond to the Holy Spirit and sense whether it's the Holy Spirit prompting us or not. Can I encourage you that doubt is part of your walk and my walk? Absolute part of it. Not knowing is what draws us closer to God. If we knew we wouldn't need God, and yet in those desperate moments, we have to cleave so closely, so tightly. We have to use the faith in his principles to lead a normal life. See, I'm convinced, it's not in the scripture, but I'm convinced that Naomi led such a godly life that Ruth said, I want that. And she stayed with her all the way through, even going into another land. But she was so convinced that Naomi's way was God's way. We all come across people in our life you know that old saying, is there enough evidence against you if you're charged with being a Christian that that charge would hold? It's a challenging thought. When people see us, do they see us as odd, unusual, or so connected to what's going on around them that they want to be part of it? When we live God's ways, God shines through. And everything we do is for God's glory. Everything we do. We, we get zip zero except the amazing benefit of seeing it happen and being a channel of his love. A wonderful friend of ours years ago said his spiritual dream is to be a downpipe, to be a channel of God's love from heaven to pass it on to people here on earth. I love that. If anyone does want to have a look at those 613 and 1,050, just not to read it and remember, but just to be aware of what they are, you're most welcome. But let's, let's close off in prayer.